Moon has this chicken soup routine, which involved carrying a can of soup, uh, Campbell's chicken soup on board, emptying it on scene into a sick bag, and then pretending to reach violently, at which point he would then raise it and pour the sick-like soup back into his mouth, offering up a hearty sigh of relief while innocently inquiring of fellow passengers what they found so disgusting. Hello everyone, it's Petra Vernon. Welcome back to Mostly Essays. We have an edgy one for you today. We're looking at the collection of essays by James Wood entitled The Fun Stuff. Uh, James is a staff writer at The New Yorker. He also is an author of how Fiction Works, as well as two essay collections entitled The Broken Estate, as well as The Irresponsible Self, uh, and a novel entitled The Book Against God. He's been described as uh, an appreciator of the contemporary novel, and here he presents us with 25 passionate, sparkling dispatches, uh, one of which I'll highlight today, which is a title essay on Keith Moon, the drummer, and the Lost Joys of Drumming, which was actually a finalist for last for 2009's National Magazine Awards. And Wood's essay on George Orwell as, as well was also featured as one of the best essays uh, a couple years back, uh, but still relevant today. So the fun stuff, indispensable reading for anyone who cares about contemporary literature. So we'll read from the fun stuff, a homage to Keith Moon. Keith Moon, drummer to The Who. Music makes us want to dance, to register rhythm on and with our bodies. So the drummer, the conductor, the luckiest of all musicians because they are closest to dancing and in drumming, how childishly close the connection is between the dancer and the dance. In a regular four by four bar, the bass drum sounds the first beat, the snare the second, the bass drums against it, drum, bass drum again hits the third, often with two eight notes at this point, and the snare hits the bar's final beat. This results in the familiar boom-da, boom-boom-da sound of most rock drumming. A standard issue drummer playing alongside to the Beatles carried the weight, would, would keep his four by four beat steady through to the line, boy, you're going to carry that weight, carry that weight a long time until the natural break, which comes to the end of the phrase, which just after the word time, a wordless two beat half bar reading itself with a repeated chorus. In that half bar, there might be a space for a quick roll or, or roll in a triplet or something fancy with snare and hi-hat, really any variety of, of filler. The filler is the fun stuff. And it could be said without exaggeration that nearly all the fun stuff in drumming takes place in those two empty beats between the empty between the end of the phrase and the start of another one. 
Phil Collins, an extremely sophisticated drummer who was never a modest performer, performed with Genesis, does a tight roll that begins with a feather-like delicacy on a tom-tom and ends more firmly on a snare before going back to the beat. But whatever their stylistic differences, the modest and sophisticated drummers share an understanding that there's a proper space for keeping the beat and a much smaller space for departing from it, like a timeout area in a classroom. The difference is just that the sophisticated drummer is much more often in timeout and is always busily showing off to the rest of the class while he is there. Keith Moon ripped all this up. There is no timeout in his drumming because there is no time in. It's all fun stuff. The first principle of Moon's drumming was that drummers do not exist to keep the beat. He did keep the beat, of course, and very well, but he did it by every method except the traditional one. Drumming is repetition, as is rock music generally. And Moon clearly found repetition dull, so he played the drums like no one else, and not even like himself. I mean that no two bars of Moon's playing ever sounded the same. He is in revolt against consistency. He is always vandalizing repetition. Everyone else in the band gets to improvise, so why should the drummer be nothing more than a, a condemned a metrodrome? He saw himself as a soloist playing with an ensemble of other soloists. It follows from that that the drummer will be playing a line of music just as, say, the guitarist does, with undulations and crescendos and leaps. Crescendos and leaps. It further follows that the snare drum and the bass drum, traditionally the ball and the chain of rhythmic imprisonment, are no more interesting than any of the other drums in the kit. And that you will need lots of those other drums, lots and lots. By the mid-1970s, when Moon's kit was said to be the biggest in the world, and what a deliciously absurd conceit anyway, he had two bass drums and at least 12 tom-toms arrayed in stacks like squadrons of spotlights. He looked like a cheerful boy who had built elaborate fortifications for the sole purpose of destroying them. But he needed all those drums. He needed all those drums as a flute needs all its stops or a harp its strings so that his tremendous bubbling cascades, his liquid journeys could be voiced. He needed not to run out of drums as he ran around them. Keith Moon's style of drumming is a lucky combination of artful and artless. He began at the beginning. His drums always sounded good. He hit them nice and hard, and he turned the bigger tom-toms low. Not for him, the little ignongs toms of Kenny Jones, who palely succeeded him in the Who after Moon's death. He kept his snare pretty dry. This isn't a small thing. The talentless uh, three-piece jazz combo at your local hotel, ballroom, dinner-jacketed old-timers hacking through the old favorites. No. A good dry snare properly struck is a bark, a crack, a report. How a drummer hits the snare and how it sounds can determine a band's entire dynamic. Groups like Supertrap and the Eagles seem soft in large part because the snare of theirs is so drippy and mildly used. There are three great albums of The Who, and these are also the greatest Moon records. Live at Leeds, 1970. Who's Next, 1971. 
and Quadrophena in 1973, a kind of successor to Tommy, which was a rock opera nostalgically celebrating the 1960s, 60s mod culture. On these, you'll find songs like Substitute, My Generation, See Me, Feel Me, Listening to You, Won't Get Fooled Again, Bargain, 5.15, Sea and Sand, and Love at Rain O Me. There's no great difference between the live concert recordings and the studio songs. All of them are full, are full of improvisations uh, and structured anarchy, fluffs and messes. All of them seem to have the rush gratitude of some something achieved only once, from which emerges the second great principle of Moon's drumming, namely that one is always performing, not recording. And that makes mistakes, that means that mis making mistakes is simply part of the locomotion of vitality. In the wonderful song, The Dirty Job on Hotrophenia, you can hear Moon accidentally knock his sticks together three separate times while traveling around the kit. Most drummers would be horrified to be caught out on tape like this. For Moon, this vitality meant trying to shape oneself to the changing dynamics of the music, listening as much the percussive deviations of the bass line as to the steady, obvious line of the lead singer. Bonham's drumming sounds as if he was, as if he had thought about phrasing, he never overreaches himself because he seems to be so perfectly measured, the, the, the relationship between rhythmic order and rhythmic deviation. For for Moon, this was not so. In a standard four by four bar, the hi-hat no sounds, the four whole beats, or perhaps sounds eight beats and eight notes. That is the Bonham sound, heard in the celebrated long solo, one of the devilishly complexity in Moby Dick on the live album, the song remains the same. Everything is judged in the right place, astonished order. Moon's drumming, by contrast, is about putting things in the wrong place. The appearance of, of astonishing order. You can copy Bonham exactly, but to copy Moon would be to bottle his spilling energy, which is much harder. A third principle of Moon's was of packing as much as possible into a single bar of music, which produces this extraordinary variety of his playing. He seems to be hungrily reaching for everything at once. Take, for instance, the bass drum and the cymbal, generally speaking. Drummers strike these with a respectively monotony. You hit the crash cymbal at the end of the drum roll as a flourish, but also as a kind of an announcement that timeout has boringly enough ended and that the beat must go back to work. Moon does something strange with both the instruments. He tends to ride his bass drum. He keeps his foot hovering over that bass drum pedal as a nervous driver might keep a foot on a brake and strikes the drum often, sometimes continuously throughout a bar. And when he breaks to do a roll around the tums, he will keep that bass drum around simultaneously so that the effect is of two drummers playing together. Meanwhile, he delights in hitting his cymbals as often as humanly possible and off the beat, just before or after the logical moment. Rather as jazz and big band drummers do, the effect of all these cymbals being struck is of someone shouting out at unexpected moments while waiting in line. 
a hammer of explanation marks, whereas his habit of entering a song by first crashing a cymbal and then ripping around the pit is like someone bursting into a quiet room and shouting, I'm here. New technology allows listeners to isolate a song's individual players and the astonishingly isolated drum tracks that, for instance, like Won't Get Fooled Again and Behind Blue Eyes can be found on YouTube. On Won't Get Fooled Again, the drumming is staggeringly vital with Moon once rhythmically tight and massively spontaneous. On both that song and Behind Blue Eyes, you can hear him do something that was instant, instinctive probably, but it's hard to ever attempted in ordinary uh, rock drumming, breaking for a fill. Moon fails to stop at the obvious end of the musical phrase and continues with his rolling beak over the line and into the next of the next phrase. In poetry, this failure to stop at the end of the line, this challenge to metrical closure, this desire to get more in is called enjambment. Moon is the drummer of enjambment. Nowadays, Moon would probably be classed as having both ADHD and bipolar order disorder. Fortunately for the rest of us, he grew up in post-war, non-therapeutic Britain, and medicated himself with <laughs> booze, illegal drugs, and illegal drumming. Born into a modest working class of London in 1946, Moon had a ultra education. He was restless, hyperactive, and often played to the gallery. An art teacher described him as a retarded, artistically idiotic in other respects, and the authorities were doubtless relieved when he left the school at age 15. He never felt one day he's going to be famous, a friend told Tony Fletcher, Moon's biographer. He felt instead more likely that he was going to end up in prison. <laughs> 